0: Chapter Six of The Ashiel Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit www.librivox.org. Recording by Garth Comera. The Ashiel Mystery by Mrs. Charles Bryce. Chapter Six. Here they come again. Lord Ashiel spoke in a voice scarcely above a whisper, and Juliet crouched low against the peaty wall of the butt. There was an instant's silence, and then shots sounded from the other end of the line. Another minute and Lorda Sheel's gun went up, and she heard the whirr of approaching wings before she covered both ears with her hands to deaden the noise of the explosions she knew were coming. Then several guns seemed to go off at once. Juliet did not really enjoy grouse driving, but she tried to appear as if she did, since everyone else seemed to, and at all events there were intervals between drives when she could be happy in the glory of the hills and the wild free air of the moors. Meanwhile she knelt in her corner of the butt beside her host's big retriever and waited. There was a little bunch of heather growing level with her nose, and she bent forward silently and sniffed at it, but the honey-sweet scent was drowned for the moment by the smell of gunpowder and dog. Presently Lord Ashiel turned and looked down at her with a smile. The drivers are close up, he said. The drive is over. They went out of the butt, and she stood watching the dog picking up the birds Lord Ashiel had shot. He found nineteen, and the loader picked up three more. Juliet was glad her host shot so well. She thought him a wonderful man and how kind he was to her but she could not help looking over from time to time to the next butt round which three other people were wandering sir david southern and his loader and miss Maisie tarver to whom he was engaged to be married one of sir david's birds had fallen near his uncle's butt and presently he strolled across to look for it his eyes on the heather as he zigzagged about leading his dog by the chain, which his uncle insisted on his using. "'There is something here called, Juliet. Yes, it is a dead grouse. Is this your bird?' Sir David came up and took it. "'That's it,' he said. "'Thanks very much. How do you like this sort of thing?' He leant against the butt and looked down at her. "'Oh, it's so lovely here,' began Juliet. "'But you don't like the shooting, eh?' "'I don't know,' Juliet stammered. "'I think it's rather cruel.' You must remember there wouldn't be any grouse at all if they weren't shot," he said seriously. And besides, wild birds don't die comfortably in their beds if they're not killed by man. A charge of shot is more merciful than a death from cold and starvation, or even from the attack of a hawk, or any of a bird's other natural enemies. Just think, wouldn't you rather have the violent end yourself than the slow, lingering one? yes admitted juliet i would i believe you're right but i don't really much like seeing it happen all the same i think you'd get used to it it's a matter of habit i believe everything is a matter of habit or almost everything i suppose one gets used to any kind of horror in time he spoke reflectively more or so it seemed to juliet as if trying to convince himself than her and as he finished speaking She was conscious that his eyes, which had never left her face while they were talking, had done so now, and were fixed on some object or person behind her. She turned instinctively and saw Miss Maisie Tarver approaching, a brace of grouse swinging in each hand. "'I've got them all right here, David,' she informed him, as she came up. She was a tall, dark girl. With the look of breeding which often proves so confusing to Europeans when they first come in contact with certain of her countrywomen. This bird, she added, holding up one which still fluttered despairingly, was a runner. But now he won't do any more running than the color of my new pink shirtwaist, And that's guaranteed a fast tint, I guess. Juliet looked away, trying not to show her dismay at the struggles of the wounded bird. Here, give me that bird, Maisie said David, rather abruptly. I'll knock it on the head. Oh, I can do that, if it makes Miss Byrne feel badly, Maisie laughed. Raising her small foot on to the stone, she began to make ineffectual attempts to beat the bird's head against her toe. David snatched it from her unceremoniously, and turned his back while he put an end to the poor creature's sufferings. His face was very red. When he had killed the bird, he tossed it to Lord Ashield's loader and strode away across the heather. Maisie looked at Juliet with a laugh. "'Your English young men are perfectly lovely,' she remarked. "'And David is just elegant, I think.' Or I'd not have gone and engaged myself to be led to the altar by him. But I can't kind of get used to the British way of looking at things. It's quite remarkable, the manner you people have of admiring a girl one moment, because she's a good sport and throwing fits of disapprobation the next, because she tries to act like she is one. Why, David looked at me just now as if he'd have taken less than two cents to put knockout drops in my next cocktail. "'Oh,' protested Juliet, "'I'm sure he didn't mean to. I think his expression is naturally rather stern.' "'Stern nothing,' said Miss Tarver. "'When I came up he was looking at you as if he reckoned he could eat you, shooting stick and all.' oh there aren't any flies on me i know just what myself and my dollars are worth to sir david southern and i'm beginning to do some calculating on my own account as to what sir david southern is worth to me oh surely you are wrong cried juliet i'm certain sir david has never thought about your money oh i feel sure you misjudge him and you mustn't talk like that even in fun i don't know said miss tarver doubtfully his cousin says David's really very attached to me, but it's the sort of thing one ought to be able to see for oneself, and I don't seem to feel a really strong conviction on the subject. As for his thinking of my dollars, I fail to see how he can help that when he's over head and ears in debt the way he is. He told me so himself when he proposed. He put it as a business proposition said his ancient name was up for auction and did i reckon it worth my while to make a bid or words to that effect there's a romantic love story for you he was the only titled man i'd ever struck up with till a month ago and i always did think it would be stunning to marry into an aristocratic british family so i was pleased to death at the idea of putting his on its legs again with my dollars what else could i do with them anyway but I believe if I'd met your friend Lord Ashiel before I'd taken the fatal step, I'd have waited to see if he didn't fancy an American wife. But of course he doesn't care a hill of beans whether I'm rich or not. He's got plenty himself, I'm told, and I guess he'd never have looked at me while you were around any old way. All the same, I call him a real striking looking man. Oh, don't talk so loud Um, implored Juliet. He'll hear you. He's quite close. Not he, said Miss Tarver. He's back of the butt still. And I will say he is a real high-toned gentleman. And it's my opinion the girl who gets him will be able to give points to the man who took a piece of wasteland for a bad debt and struck the richest vein of gold in Colorado on it. She looked at Juliet with an insinuating eye come along said lord ashiel as he strolled up to them with the bird he had been looking for we're going on now to the next drive and they started off down the hillside wading deep through the heather to the track juliet had been nearly a week at inverashiel a week of wet weather which had sadly interfered with the shooting but which had thrown the house party on its own resources and given her plenty of chances to get well acquainted with the other guests at the castle they were most of them related to Lord Ashiel, and already well known to each other. The American, David Southern's fiancée, the half-Russian girl, Julia Romanoff, who had arrived on the same day as Juliet, and Juliet herself were the only strangers. Mrs. Haviland, Lord Ashiel's sister, had been there when she arrived, but had left a day or two later as her husband, who was in the South, had fallen ill and needed her presence her place as hostess had been taken by Lady Ruth Warsfold, a distant cousin of the McConaugans, who lived in a little house a mile down the loch, which was given her rent-free by Lord Ashiel. Another cousin of his, Mrs. Clutsam, a young widow, he had also provided this year with a small house on the estate, which was sometimes let to fishing tenants, and she too was at present staying at Inver Oshiel. The guns consisted of Colonel Spicer, and Sir George Hatch, both well-known soldiers of between forty and fifty years of age, and Lord Ashiel's two nephews, David Southern, the son of a widowed sister, and Mark McConaugan, whose father, now dead, had been Lord Ashiel's only brother. Both were tall, good-looking young men, though there was not even a family resemblance between the grey-eyed and fair-haired David with his smooth-shaven face and slender, well-proportioned figure, and his loose-limbed, rather ungainly cousin, whose appearance of great strength made up for his lack of grace, and whose large, melting brown eyes made one forget the faults which the hypercritical might have found in the rest of his face, the rather large nose, and the mouth which was apt too often to be open, except when it closed on the cigarette he was always smoking. He had been, so Juliet had heard someone say, one of the most popular men in the cavalry regiment he had lately left, on account of its being ordered to India. They were all very nice to Juliet, and she thought them all charming. Especially, she told herself with unnecessary emphasis, did she think Miss Maisie Tarver a delightful person, rather strange, possibly, to European ways and customs and manners of conversation, a very different type, certainly, from the new Lady Byrne, to whom Juliet was beginning to feel she had perhaps not hitherto sufficiently done justice, but open as the day and with a heart of gold. She even went so far as to defend her to old Lady Ruth Worsfold, who had lamented one morning when David and his fiancée had gone out shooting together, for Miss Tarver, though not a good shot, was fond of ferreting rabbits. THAT THE LAD SHOULD BE THROWING HIMSELF AWAY ON THIS YOUNG LADY FROM A PROVINCIAL AMERICAN TOWN. I FORGET WHICH, MY DEAR, BUT IT'S SOMETHING TO DO WITH CHICKENS, I BELIEVE. THEY WERE SITTING IN THE HALL, AND LADY RUTH LOOKED UP FROM HER EMBROIDERY AS SHE SPOKE, WITH AN INTERROGATIVE GLANCE TOWARDS MRS. Clutsam AND JULIA. CHICAGO, SAID MRS. Clutsam, TURNING AROUND FROM THE TABLE WHERE SHE WAS WRITING. THAT'S WHERE SHE COMES FROM. YES, THAT'S IT, SAID LADY RUTH. The name had slipped my memory. It's the place where they all kill pigs, isn't it? I've read about it in Kipling. Her having been brought up to do that accounts for her passion for wounding rabbits, no doubt. I dare say one has to keep one's hand in. That reminds me. I will tell the cook not to send up sausages for breakfast. The poor girl is probably tired of the sight of them, though I suppose they mean money to her, which is always pleasant. When I had a poultry farm— I used to feel my heart warm at the thought of poor dear Duncan's bald head. "'You know, my dear,' she went on, turning to Juliet, "'my husband had the misfortune to lose all his hair some years before he died, though I really don't believe there was a patent hair wash he didn't try, till the house fairly reeked of them. But they never did any good, and he got to look more and more like one of my nice new-laid eggs—though not so brown, of course for I always kept Wyandots, which lay the most beautiful dark brown ones, like Café au lait. Well, the money will be very useful to poor David, said Mrs. Clotsam, without turning her head. She was rather annoyed, because she had found that she had written, I'm so glad you can kill pigs, instead of, I'm so glad you can come, to someone she had invited to stay with her. "'There's plenty of money on this side of the duck-pond, "'or whatever they call it,' said Lady Ruth severely. "'And it was then that Juliet had burst in. "'I am sure Sir David has never given a thought "'to Miss Tarver's money,' she said. "'Why not, my dear?' said Lady Ruth, "'turning upon her mild, surprised eyes. He's terribly badly off. "'It is his duty to marry money, "'but he needn't have gone so far for it. "'I don't believe he would marry for money.' "'He would be above doing such a thing,' Juliet declared. Julia, who had said nothing, stared at her and laughed softly. She had a very low, musical laugh. "'I don't think you understand the position,' said Mrs. Clutzen, turning round at last and laying down her pen with an air of resignation. "'David Southern has inherited a lot of debts from his father, who only died last year, and he had piled up a good many on his own account before then.' never suspecting that he would not be very well off. But he found the place mortgaged up to the hilt. There is really nothing between his mother and starvation, except her brother-in-law Achille's charity. And that is not pleasant for her, because she has never been on good terms with him. It is very important that David should obtain money somehow, for her sake more than for his own. And I am sure he feels that deeply. He is devoted to her. "'But there are other ways of getting money than by marrying,' Juliet objected. "'Yes, there are, but they're slow and uncertain, and David can't bear to see his mother poor. I'm sure it was for her sake that he proposed to Miss Tarver.' "'I think he would have tried some other way first, unless he had been in love with her,' Juliet repeated, flushed and obstinate. "'Mr. McConakin says Sir David is very fond of Miss Tarver, really,' said Julia, speaking for the first time. She spoke English fluently, but with a slight foreign accent. He says his cousin is so reserved that he conceals his feelings as much as possible. But that, au fond, he adores her. There was a short silence. Mrs. Clutsem seemed about to speak. But her eyes met those of Lady Ruth fixed on her with an expressionless gaze, and she turned round without a word and took up her discarded pen. They were both thinking the same thing. If David concealed his feelings in the presence of Miss Tarver, he was not so successful when he was in Juliet's neighborhood. Both women had noticed the change that came over him when she was in the room. It was not that he did not try to appear indifferent. He did not talk to her or seek her society. On the contrary, he seemed to avoid it, and relapsed into silence at her approach. But both Lady Ruth and Mrs Clutsam had caught him looking at her when he thought himself unobserved, and their observations had not left either of them in any doubt as to how the land lay. Sir David Southern might be engaged to marry Miss Tarver, but he had fallen in love with someone quite different, and someone who was, moreover, or so they imagined, destined for quite another person. For what was Miss Juliet Byrne doing at Inverashiel Castle? This was a question which much exercised the minds of Lord Ashiel's relations, and when she was not present formed the subject of many discussions. Where had this girl, this extremely pretty and attractive girl, suddenly appeared from? Well, they all knew, of course, where she really had come from, but why? Why had Lord Ashiel suddenly sprung her on them like this? He had not even told Mrs. Haviland that he had invited her, until the day before she arrived. Why this mystery? Where had he met her? How long had he known her? To a casual question Juliet had replied guardedly that she had not known him very long, but that he knew her family. Fervently did she hope... WHAT SHE SAID WAS TRUE. ONE THING, HOWEVER, SEEMED CERTAIN, NO MATTER HOW, WHERE, OR WHY A HAD MADE FRIENDS WITH Juliet Byrne, HE WAS BENT ON BECOMING EVEN BETTER ACQUAINTED. HE APPEARED TO BE ON EXCELLENT TERMS WITH HER ALREADY, AND EVERY DAY SAW THEM GROW MORE FAMILIAR, AND ON A SHIELD SIDE, ALMOST AFFECTIONATE. IF HE WENT SHOOTING OR FISHING, Juliet MUST GO TOO. To her he addressed his remarks. It was she whom he consulted when he made plans for the following days. His health was bad. He was subject to terrible headaches. And if she were not present, he grew quickly nervous and irritable. When she was, he seldom took his eyes off her. He seemed to watch her, Mrs. clutson thought, with a certain expectancy, but also with a distinct and unmistakable pride there was little doubt in the mind of anyone in the house that there would soon be a second Lady Achille. As the party walked between the butts on that brilliant August day, Miss Tarver tacked herself on to her host and strode on ahead with him, keeping up a flow of interminable, drawling inanities, which made him wonder for the fortieth time what David could see in her. The others tailed out after them, followed by dogs and loaders, Without knowing how it came about, Juliet found herself walking beside David, and as she was not used to the rough going on the hillside, they insensibly dropped behind the rest of the long, straggling procession. The way was uphill. Juliet panted and stumbled, and her companions seemed disinclined to talk. They came to a burn, and he gave her his hand to cross from stone to stone. The burn was high, and one stone was under water leaving a space too wide for Juliet to jump. David stepped on to the flooded rock and turned to her. "'I will lift you over here,' he said shortly. "'Oh, I can wade quite well,' said she. "'My shoes are wet already.' But without more words he put his arms around her and lifted her over. When he put her down he found his tongue. "'If Maisie stands with my uncle at the next drive,' he said, "'will you come to my butt?' i should like to she said for some reason his tone made her breath come quickly david stood looking down at her as though considering i can't go back on my word he said at last inconsequently i shall have to marry her if she wants it i suppose but i can't bear you to think that i care for her i've got to think of other people you mustn't say that she cried oh you mustn't say that to me why not he said looking at her strangely what have i said that isn't right nothing i suppose juliet faltered but but oh she cried if you don't care for her you must tell her so and she will break it off anything would be better than to go on with it i think she knows he said gloomily she won't break it off because she wants to be my lady It's a business matter, really, and I'd have to stick to it for my mother's sake, anyhow. Juliet could think of nothing to say. You ought not to marry her, she stammered again. If I didn't, he began hoarsely. If she did let me go. I don't suppose you'd ever care for me enough to marry me. Oh, I know I ought not to say it, he broke off. I'm a cad to speak like this. Forgive me, Juliet. Juliet's world revolved around her at an unusual pace for the space of a second. She shut her eyes to steady herself. A mixture of misery and happiness deprived her of speech or movement. Gradually the misery predominated, and she burst into tears. Forgive me, forgive me, he was saying. He stood before her, looking as wretched as a man can look. Yes, yes, she sobbed. Let us forget all about it. You must forget me.' "'You know I can't,' he said. "'Juliet! Juliet! Don't cry. If you cry I shall be simply obliged to kiss you,' and he took a step toward her. They were still standing at the edge of the burn screened from the track ahead, partly by a little bush of alder which grew beside them, partly by the winding of the path round the slope of the hill. As David spoke, a rabbit came scampering up to the other side of the bush, and then, becoming aware of their proximity, turned at right angles and darted down the bank. It was three or four yards away and going hard when there was a loud report, and the branches of the alder cracked and rattled. Several little boughs fell to the ground a foot or two away from the spot in which Juliet stood. Surprise dried her tears, and restored David to his senses. "'Hi!' he shouted, bounding on to the path and waving his arms frantically. "'What are you shooting at? Look out! Can't you?' Fifty yards up the track his cousin Mark was standing, an open gun in his hand. A scared gilly was running towards them down the path beyond. "'Good heavens, David!' Mark ejaculated. "'Do you mean to say you were in the burn? I thought you were on ahead. Why in the world did you lag behind like that? Do you know I might easily have shot you?' "'Do I know it, you precious near did shoot me. "'And Miss Byrne, too, I tell you. "'If it hadn't been for that alder, "'we should have been bound to get most of the charge between us. "'It's not like you to be so careless.' "'I'm frightfully sorry, old man,' said Mark, coming up. "'It was careless of me, "'but I felt sure there was no one back there. "'I saw that rabbit and stalked it, "'meaning to overtake you all afterwards. "'They walk so fearfully slow, you know, what with all these ladies and Uncle Douglas not feeling very fit. And Miss Byrne here, too. By Jove, I am sorry. Beastly stupid of me.' He was plainly agitated, and could hardly blame himself severely enough. And David, for his part, was not disposed to make light of what had happened. Perhaps he was glad of a subject on which he could enlarge. "'It was a rotten shot, too,' he mumbled, as they all hurried on after the others. "'You were about four yards behind that rabbit.' "'Absolutely rotten,' agreed Mark. "'I don't know what's happened to my shooting. I've hit every bird in the tail today, except when I've missed him clean, and that's what I've done most of the time. There's something wrong with my eye altogether. If I don't get better, I shall knock off shooting.' For a few days, anyhow. All his usual self-possession seemed to have been shaken out of him by the thought of the catastrophe he might have caused. Young, good-looking, and popular— He was accustomed to take the pleasure shown in his society in the admiring approval of his associates, which had always contributed so much to his comfortable feeling of satisfaction with himself, and which had invariably strengthened his reluctance to harbor unpleasant doubts as to his own perfections, as a matter of course. And the hardiness with which he now cursed himself for a careless and dangerous fool testified to the fright he had had even when david relenting a little though still reluctant to show it grunted surly none of you cavalry soldiers are safe with a gun mark did not as he would generally have done deny the accusation resentfully but displayed an astonishing meekness which proved how clearly he saw himself to be in the wrong juliet who had sometimes thought him rather selfish a fault he shared with many others of his kind and one perhaps almost unavoidable in attractive only sons, was touched by his unusual humility, and treated the matter lightly, doing all she could to cheer him up and restore to him his good opinion of himself. But Mark, while he smiled back gratefully in reply, would not allow her to persuade him that he was less to blame than he asserted. And he was still lamenting his carelessness when they came up with the rest of the party, who were already stationed in the butts. Miss Tarver was beside Lord Ashiel, and Mark stopped a minute to relate how nearly he had been the cause of an accident, although both David and Juliet, by mutual consent, guessed what he was going to do, and tried to dissuade him. "'No need to say anything about it,' David mumbled in his ear. "'No, no, please don't,' Juliet murmured in the other. Yet he would not be tempted, and they walked on together in silence, leaving him to tell the story." I, as near as makes no difference, peppered David and Miss Byrne just now, they heard him begin, and then a Lord Ashiel's voice broke in in an angry tone as they passed out of earshot. David's loader reported afterwards that that young gentleman and Miss Byrne, when she waited with him in the butt, seemed to find very little to talk about. And it was a long wait before any birds came up on that beat. End of Chapter 6 Recording by Garth Komira